Welcome to the Founders Keepers podcast. Interviews exploring stories behind the founders of change-making businesses in medtech, biotech, and health tech, and what makes those founders tick. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Hatton, and this week I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, CEO of E7 Health, which is the focus of our conversation today, and also the US Drug Test Centers organization. E7 Health is a preventative health and wellness company supervised by board-certified doctors located in Las Vegas, Nevada, and specializing in a range of services from travel medicine through to employee health, drug testing, immigration exams, and laboratory services. Jonathan is a triple board certified physician with specialties in internal medicine, pulmonary and critical care medicine, as well as being a recipient of the Top Tech Awards in Healthcare for his work using technology to transform the healthcare landscape in Southern Nevada. He additionally has served as a clinical faculty for several medical schools in the States, including the University of Nevada and Toro University. In this episode, we cover the ebbs and flows of heading up a vaccine-focused business, including growing revenue by tenfold since launching, and keeping the big picture in focus when it comes to managing and running a team. Let's get started. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I would love if, in your own words, you can tell me about your background, your journey as an entrepreneur that has essentially led you to where you are now. Well, thanks, Grace. Um, You know, I started off as a straight arrow, going to medical school, residency, fellowship, joining a group, uh, becoming a senior partner. And um, that was the traditional course to take. And then somewhere along the way, as I got uh, further and further, I was offered opportunities to, you know, be on committees. And eventually that led to being heads of departments, which then led to administrative roles. And it just, you know, there was no one moment where it happened. And then some entrepreneurial opportunities opened up and slowly that led its way to us, you know, starting our own healthcare companies back in 2009. And here we are. And so I I find that quite interesting, actually, because when I normally ask this question, there is often a pivotal moment. It's either something in the healthcare system that's either really stuck out as a a pain point that someone wants to fix, um, or someone has always had sort of an entrepreneurial spirit. So tell me about your first idea then. What was that first pull away from clinical medicine into entrepreneurship? You know, I, you know how they say death by a thousand cuts. I mean, this was really entrepreneurship by a thousand cuts. I mean, it was, it wasn't one moment. It was uh, literally, oh, wow, that was great being on that committee. Uh, So I can make an impact also, you know, besides seeing patients and, uh, you know, I can change the direction of the hospital, the department and uh, then, you know, became a department head and like, wow, so we, we can have an impact there. And it's, I, I think it's not an epiphany. I think it's this idea that you're receptive to opportunities. You know, like a lot of times I'll be having dinner with another doctor and I'll mention some opportunity and that I've had or I'm aware of. And, you know, it just, it doesn't even register and for them to say, oh, tell me more about that. I, you know, the you know they're like well wasn't a great football game and they just move on so if you're not open if if your antenna is not up you know i bet on a weekly basis doctors hear or see opportunities all the time but they're just so focused on what they're doing that i don't think i don't think you have to go looking for opportunities they they just come by you the question is when it comes by is your antenna up or down and if it's down yeah then like you're just going to be do- and oh by the way there's nothing wrong with clinical medicine i think it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me that's probably the most happiest years of my life seeing patients uh 
but it doesn't mean uh, you know you can you can like pasta and you can like chicken. I mean, it doesn't. You, you don't have to pick. You can do both. Well, on that note, let's dig a little bit deeper into the company you founded and our CEO of E7 Health. Tell me about that. So E7 Health really evolved back in 2009 when we realized that there was an opportunity to make a difference when it comes to adult vaccinations. In the United States, per the CDC, there's about 50,000 vaccine-preventable deaths in the United States. I'm sure it's, the number is high, too, in England and certainly in most developing nations, even worse. And so there's an opportunity to focus on adult vaccinations. You know, even before COVID, like, you know, I joke, we, you know, we were a COVID company before COVID hit, you know, pushing adult vaccines. And we did that at, at the exclusion of primary care, urgent care. And then we wrote tons of technology to support it because it didn't exist. Uh, so I think that was our motive to get into preventative health, health, but as it relates to adult vaccinations. And then we did all the other work around adult vaccinations that were necessary. I'm interested to understand on the topic of, as you say, sort of COVID-related issues in vaccine development and how you were a COVID company before COVID hit. I'm curious to understand how did COVID impact your business, both from a business perspective in terms of supply chain, uh, in terms of the practicalities, but also from a mission perspective? Did it alter the company mission at all? Oh, definitely, because we were like one of the very first few companies that rolled out nationwide saliva drug testing early on in the pandemic. And we had the technology and, and the software to have people, you know, companies and people order them, FedEx it to them, get it back to our labs, get the results on our platform. And so we actually uh, rolled out saliva, not swab, but saliva uh, COVID testing nationwide to employers, many big employers as well as individuals. So, yeah, I mean, had we not had the technology sort of, I don't want to say on the shelf, because we had to, obviously, my staff uh, worked really hard for several months to, you know, to fine tune it to so we could offer nationwide saliva testing. But something I'm really proud of my staff, proud of our organization that, uh, you know, we were already doing testing for viruses, for herpes and you know, titers and you know, so to add COVID testing was just like adding something to the menu, uh, but to roll it out nationwide. And, and we bypassed the swab and went to one of the first uh, approved, uh, you know, uh, PCR saliva. So this would allow self-collection, you know, so if you're stuck at home, you could just, or if employers could use it so they didn't have to hire someone to go and swab all their employees and stuff. So we thought it was uh, it was important to go straight to the saliva and we sought out, a, you know, the first uh, lab that had that approved in the United States uh, under, under the emergency authorization. And we, you know, we took it national. So we're really happy and proud of that program. And since I suppose there's been a partial resolution or certainly a public perception that COVID has almost disappeared or faded into the background. Have you pivoted again or has that remained a, a mainstay of your business? No, obviously that's gone way down. But again, this is, you know, we call ourselves E7 because we have seven books of business. So when one book of business goes down, our other six books of business are up and running. And so uh, by definition, um, not any one business can impact this. Uh, and I think that was done almost on purpose because 
we wanted to make sure as a business model, we survived any ebbs and flows in things to come. And so luckily, um, uh, you know, we kept uh, pushing along and growing our business like we were prior to COVID. So tell me a little bit more about the structure then. What are the other six components of E7 Health? Okay, so what we did is we went into every book of business that, that adult vaccinations were involved. So adult vaccinations are involved in corporate health, employee health. So uh, so many jobs require you to be vaccinated prior to starting the job and require annual vaccines, TB, skin tests, um, uh, uh, flu shots, and tetanus shots. So whether you know you're uh, going to be working in healthcare, for example, if you're going to be working in a doctor's office, in a hospital, in a nursing home, there's certain adult in the, in the United States, certain vaccines you need prior to employment, during employment. And along with that, they also need physicals, drug testing. So we provided the whole gamut. As long as vaccines were involved, we did that. Then we went into student health, with student health also for people going to pharmacy school, medical school, nursing school, respiratory therapy school. All those students need vaccinations and physicals and drug testing before they start school, during school. Uh, then we went into travel medicine because vaccines are involved in travel medicine, you know, especially as you're traveling to developing nations. So we what we did is we 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 started off actually stocking every vaccine available, commercially available in the United States. And we said, okay, what are all the different books of business that these vaccines could be used in? The analogy I give is if, imagine you opened up a tire store and you stocked every tire available, commercially available, but decided to only sell to Mercedes-Benz. Well, it wouldn't make sense. You have to, if you have all the vaccines, you should get into every field uh, that vaccines are involved. Um, STD, you know, we have a you know, we have STD vaccines, you know, we have the HPV vaccine, even hepatitis A, hepatitis B are considered STD vaccines. So if we're going to give STD vaccines, we did STD testing and STD services. So those were the seven books of business. We broadly got into any books of business that adult vaccinations were involved, and then we provided all the services around it. I don't know if that makes sense, but that was our thinking. And we did it at the exclusion of doing primary care urgent care, workman's comp. So if you come into our clinic and you have a cold, we don't see you. You know, we refer you out, but we don't see you. And is it that structure that effectively differentiates you from your competitors? We have a slightly similar structure um, within the UK where, yes, uh, certain occupations and students will require vaccinations, though, of course, that falls under the umbrella of the NHS, whereas I guess, you know, in the US, it's a very different model. But I'm just curious to understand because it's a very interesting business structure from what you've described. Um, and I wonder if that's how you differentiate yourselves from other players within the field. Well, well I mean, I know this is going to sound surprising. I don't think we have competitors. And I'll tell you how I what I mean by that. Uh, we have everybody who does what we do does it as a sort of like a side hustle. They're doing primary care or they're they're pharmacy and they're doing a little bit of that. And even even our you know Department of Health, you know, which you know, in the United States they're per you know per county, you know, they're busy closing down restaurants, inspecting restaurants and pools. Yes, and they're giving out some vaccines. You know, nobody does it as their core focus. Uh, especially in the United States. There's nobody, it's just a side gig for a lot of other people. And what we found is, you know, people who do it as their main, as, as, not as their main thing, often don't do it well. You know, it's not uncommon for me to see other clinics and stuff and find out, oh, you know, 
they're storing the vaccines that they should in the freezer, in the refrigerator, and the ones that should be in the refrigerator are in the freezer. And the vaccines they're supposed to be giving sub-Q, they're giving IM because they don't, they haven't trained their staff or they themselves don't know. And, it, you know, vaccination, the whole vaccination world is a specialty onto itself. And if you're giving out vaccines for a living and you're just doing it as a side thing, you know, my my sense of it is, you're probably not going to do it as well. Because if you have a room full of, uh, your waiting room is full of people with colds and tummy aches, and you're giving out one tetanus shot a week, you're probably not going to have the staff understand the do's and don'ts and contraindications and all the intricacies, the documentation, the reporting. So it's a lot more complicated. And then even for us, it was very complicated. That's why writing software and technology was so important to manage it. And you've touched on in your answer there some of the the inherent challenges of building a business like this. Are there any other particular standout challenges that you've encountered so far? Again, pivoting from that uh, medicine space to an entrepreneurial one. Oh my goodness! How long is this podcast? Uh, how long <laughs> as long have? as you want. We're going to be here for dinner then. Um, oh, challenges of starting an organization. It is nothing you can imagine. It is uh, you know. Uh, doctors always think that the smartest person in the room, but you know, as soon as you do this stuff, you realize, OMG, uh, it's a whole new skill set you need to acquire. It's a whole level of training and understanding. Everything from you know, how do you grow an organization? How do you motivate people? How do you mentor people? How do you hire? How do you fire? Um, you know, how how do you spot opportunities? How do you pass on opportunities? How do you grow at a pace that com- is commiserate with what's you know what the balance in your checking account is for your business there's a lot uh you know becoming understanding the finances and understanding what a balance sheet is and understanding you know where your money is going where it's coming from opportunities to to scale to save to spend picking the right vendors firing the right v- wrong vendors vendors i mean it's literally uh, a you, it's like doing a residency uh, that you need to go through, I think. And I suppose moving on from challenges within your business to potentially opportunities in the industry, what are you most optimistic about regarding the future of the vaccine industry and how will that impact on E7 Health? I think there are two separate questions. I mean, well, I was really excited about the mRNA technology that brought out the first COVID vaccine, especially in the United States. I know in England it might have been a little different, but uh, the mRNA technology, I, I, you know, I was, uh, before I was a doctor, I was a, you know, a biology major and uh, specifically uh, uh, with a focus on, you know, uh, cellular biology and what have you. And, you know, this whole concept of the mRNA technology, you know, that has the potential uh, to do so much. It, it, you know, for all the millions of lives we lost during COVID, I'm hoping that out of that pain and suffering, you know, the technology that evolved from that can save millions of lives in the future, because that is a pretty exquisite technology. If I had told you about developing a vaccine five, 10 years ago using that, you would have thought, you know, Martians had landed. But, and, I, and I'm skeptical that the technology would have gotten off the shelf were it not for a 911 emergency on, on a world level. Uh, because I think there would have been some inherent barriers for that technology to come off the shelf and 
you know, allow hundreds of people to be enrolled in a study using it just like that. Um, I think there would have been a lot of resistance to, you know, injecting genetic material into your uh, biceps or triceps. And uh, so in many ways, if there is a silver lining, I think um, in terms of vaccine development, also anti-cancer therapy, there's a whole potpourri of things that uh, that MRA technology, um, I think, will one day have an impact on. And what can we expect in the next, say, 12 to 24 months from E7 Health, if you're allowed to share? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm allowed to share because we're just about to launch it. Uh, we're uh, launching a new um, website called eNational Testing. Uh, that's, I think, should be out next week. We've been working on it for about a year. Uh, where we have partnered up with uh, some of our great partners around the country with about four or 5,000 locations to offer many of the services we do in our current clinics nationwide. So e-national testing should be out. Uh, in fact, I think it's somewhat live, but I think we're doing our final testing to go live next week. So that's the exciting thing that we're rolling out uh, that I'm very, very proud of. And I need to really thank my amazing staff for all the hard work they've been doing on it. And do you foresee that potentially you'd look to be expanding internationally, or do you think base yourselves in the US? I want to expand the I want to expand to London. That's the only place I'm concerned <laughs> about. I just want to come in your neck of the woods and uh, hang out and see all the culture. And I, we we're talking offline. I, I love them. So that, <laughs> you, you do know, you'd definitely be welcome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So no, no plans yet. But uh, first, we got to. Uh, first, we've got to conquer the U.S., and then uh, we can think about expanding. Go from there. I suspect one doesn't exist, but if there is such a thing as a typical day for you, what does that look like? Walk me through it. Um, you know, uh, my typical day has to do with um, trying to see the big picture of where the organization going and see where I need to intercede so I think of me, I like to think I'm a consultant to all my leadership. Uh, so my day consists of engaging with you know, my, my staff, but also the leadership about tweaks and directions and partnerships and, uh, and, and, and any friction we're having in anywhere. I'm just blessed with such an amazing staff that allows me to have that sort of perspective uh, but I think I'm there to serve them. I'm, I'm there to make their lives easier. Uh, I let them tell me what fires I should focus on for the most part. Although, you know, I, I have a broad overview of what's going on. So it's, I, I have the luxury of uh, picking and choosing where I can have the biggest impact uh, and not micromanage people, but let them do their thing, but be there to support them and help them in any way I can. A slightly more introspective question, but what do you think has been the biggest contributor to your success? Oh, uh, well, um, that's a loaded question. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think what I'd like to think is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm try to surround myself with people who know more than me. I, I naturally gravitate to, towards those people, and I think this idea of listening to other people that know more than you. I mean, just listening to random people. But when you've identified someone who clearly knows more than you, you know, as I always say, I wouldn't bump into Michael Jordan uh, or LeBron James and tell him what I think is the best way to shoot a basketball, right? I wouldn't do that. 
right? This is not, that wouldn't make sense. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up to him and say, hey, Michael, you know how I do it? Let me tell you how I do it. You know, that's the time where you're supposed to do just one thing, shut up and listen. So I think if you, hopefully as I've gotten older, to master that ability to identify people that know a lot more than me and then just shut up and listen. I like that. I think that's that's wonderful advice. In which sort of similar vein, would you do anything differently if you were to start again? Mm, boy, you, you got all the good ones. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> would I do it di- differently? Let's see, if I had a DeLorean and I could go back. Um, hmm, let's see. Um, I don't know if everyone in the audience got the DeLorean um, metaphor, but anyway. Um, I hope so. I'd be devastated I, if they didn't. It means I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, if I could go back, I, what would I do different? Um, you know, would, would I balance clinical with administrative sooner than I had? Maybe. Uh, would I have spent my earlier years trying to get, develop the skill sets I had to learn the hard way by, you know, starting a company? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when you're into the clinical world, you kind of just think that's all that exists. And yes, I finally learned about those other skills, but, you know, I, I wish I could go back when I was in med school and say, hey, listen, also kind of pay attention to this other stuff. Uh, but I, mean, I don't know if that's fair because back then you were just so focused on just getting through your exams and surviving what you had to survive. So I don't know if that's totally fair, but uh, I'd probably, if I could go back and whisper in one of my ears, I probably would say something like that. I agree. It's definitely a, a bubble and certainly that corroborates my experience of things. But um, yeah, well, yeah, I should ask you, uh, I know, because uh, as a physician, uh, would you go back and do anything uh, different? Oh no, because I feel that then that's I I feel that it's a slippery slope if I'm answering that question. Um, because you wouldn't be where you are without the experiences that you've had, so you don't know what different would look like. Um, but I'm always curious to know from founders whether they would actually change anything. And some people say yes, some people say no. So very interesting to to understand your perspective mm-hmm. there. Um, but again, shared because I suppose we both come from a, a medical school background where you know that you need that focus in order to get through it. Lastly. Is there any other advice that you would give to would-be business founders wanting to follow in your footsteps? Well, I, I think you have to learn early on, for me at least, that you can't do it alone. So just number one. And as best as you can, when you start a business or move in that direction, you know, try to try to find something that hasn't been done before. You know, there's an old business book called Blue Ocean Strategies, which talks about, you know, entering into a blue ocean, not a red ocean, where, you know, you your competitors become irrelevant because because of what you're doing. That makes your life easier. You don't want to be the one hundredth insurance company in London, you know? Like you don't want to be the one hundredth accounting firm in London. You, you know, like somebody at the doctor says, I got this great idea. How about if I open up an insurance company or how about if I open now, if you're going to do something innovative, yes, but you know, you can't just say we're going to have great customer service. You know, customer service is not an innovation. Okay. Customer service is, is, is great and you should have it, but you can't say, well, we're, we're going to kill it in the accounting as an accounting company because we're going to have great customer service. That that's probably not, 
It's going to be a rough road. I, I guess I'm saying you can do it, but if you want to have an easy road or easier road, you know, try to innovate something that nobody else is doing. If that's easier said than done, because whatever. But if you ask for my advice, I would say if you're going to take the leap into this world, at least find something that is innovative in the sense that you won't have any theoretical natural competitors. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Founders Keepers. And if you have, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review on whatever listening platform you are using. Be sure to tune in next time for another Founders story.